with Dave Power. Dave was my high school history teacher, uh, and Dave taught me modern Western civilization. So I had this idea that we could, because we're trapped in the house anyway, uh, over the web record the entire modern Western civilization course, except we would modify it with all the things that we've learned since then. And as power's been modifying the course, I think since I took it in, I think 1993 or four. My gosh, you're old. <laughs> I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, with Howard Zinn's idea of people's history, but also it's not just Western civilization we're, we're talking about anymore. We're going to do civilizations. We're going to do all of them. We're going to do Eastern. We're going to do Southern. We're going to do peoples. We're going to do it all. So Dave, thanks. Thank you. So why do we do this? I, partly because I have this belief that my whole approach to writing right now um, about politics is is based on this historical approach. I believe that history can prepare you to understand current events. What what's your motivation? Why do you why did you want to teach history before you retired? Oh, first of all, it's fun. It's got the greatest stories. It's not a coincidence that so many movies and TV shows use well, history or pseudo-history for their subject matter. It's fun. Uh, second, I agree with you. You can learn a great deal about what's going on now by studying history. And third, I think because of all the misconceptions, the myth-making and the politics behind it. No question history is one of the most political subjects in the school curriculum. Every time a new government gets elected, they tinker with the history courses. You said the word pseudo-history. What makes the standard for history as opposed to pseudo-history or myth-making or fiction? Wow, that's tough because there are so many myths that are so thoroughly embedded in society. You know, the American view that they've never lost a war would be a starting point. That's exactly a question of like, how do you define losing a war? I've actually debated a friend of mine on uh, John Elmer, because he always talks about how the empire loses wars. And my thinking is, you know, take the Vietnam War, for example. Um, the U.S. lost that war, but the Vietnamese lost 5 million people, were completely destroyed their fields were sown with landmines and then the Americans back to their imperial um, projects in other parts of the world. So like, would you rather have lost that war or won that war? Because the Vietnamese paid an incredible price for so-called winning and the Americans paid a much smaller price for so-called losing. Right. So how do you define winning? It has to do with your war aims and your goals. And if you go yeah. into a conflict without clear goals, like in Afghanistan, for example, you'll never know whether you're winning or losing. So the reason I asked about uh, history versus pseudo-history is I want to believe, I'm not philosophically inclined to think there's no truth or that it's all relative. I, I, I am inclined to think that there is some standard for facts and um, evidence that we can build our, our stories on. Yeah, and you you have to go deeper into the facts. A lot of these myths are based on very simple interpretations of very complex things. If you have a depth of facts, then 
you're actually in a much better position to understand history or to refute some of these historical arguments or ahistorical arguments than you would be if you don't. And so the idea of a bunch of facts um, being a problem, you know, that's one of the things about modern pedagogy, right? Like in schools, they say, well, we don't want to just cram your head full of facts. But in fact, having a whole bunch of facts at your disposal is incredibly helpful, especially historically. That's for sure. Yeah, as it stands now, you can go through high school and you have to take a grand total of one history course. That's Canadian history in grade 10 in Ontario. And of course, you can avoid it as about one third of the students are presently doing. They take it in the summer school. Right. Which is like a month long or two months long or... A uh, new course would be four weeks. <laughs> so you do your only history requirement and you do it in four weeks and it's Canadian history in four weeks. So we're just trying to get through. We're just trying to get through it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, part of the problem is that they have so few options available to them. Once grade so, 13 was eliminated, you still have to take your math. You still have to take your science, your English. You've got all these requirements and very few options if you're interested in music or art or you know any of those optional subjects the only way to free up your schedule is to get ahead in summer school so i took grade 13 which was history which was modern western civilization but it's not taught like that anymore right it's changed since then yeah, it's been changed multiple times. Now it's called the West and the Wider World. Uh, so the West gets its own category and then everybody else gets... That's right. It's uh, yeah. basically us and them. Well, even even the definition of us is fun. So I don't know if you remembered, but I always started the course with an analysis of the title. So Modern Western Civilization. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so I would start with the word modern and what does it mean? And I would ask the students, if I asked you, for example, to do a documentary on modern music, where do you start? What's the cutoff Ob- date for modern? Obviously, um, Drake and Rihanna, <laughs> right? Um, Can't really call no, anything modern before that. No, some of them would be very thoughtful, and they would say, oh, I would go all the way back to Run DMC. That's yeah. fair. With, uh, yeah. with hip-hop, that's that's close. You're, you're uh, getting close to the origin. Yeah, others, quite others would go to the Beatles. Yeah, and then you might have a few uh, musical students who knew a little bit, and they'd go back to classical music. Which, of course, is not modern. Okay, so here's what I understand modern. And I, I took your course. And then when I went to the University of Toronto, I took uh, the first year history course, which was like international relations, which was very similar to the way you taught um, Western, modern Western. So it was like, it starts with uh, 1648, the Peace of Westphalia, <laughs> the idea of a framework for international relations. And that's the start of the modern. That's the and they don't they don't teach the Thirty Years' War. They they start and they say at the the Thirty Years' War ended with the Peace of Westphalia, and so we ring in the modern. So the Thirty Years' War, one of the major one of the major outcomes was that uh, Protestantism survived. But if you start in 1648, do they explain to you that there's a little bit of a conflict between 
Catholics and Protestants? The way that I, the way that it was taught when I took it, um, it was it was the the concept that they were trying to overriding concept that they were trying to drill into our heads through repetition was the idea of a balance of power in Europe. And now in on reflection, I think of that as a bit of a trope too, because that was what the British wanted. Um, It's not necessarily, it's also how the British saw the world. So it's kind of a British centric interpretation of history and a British centric lens for the whole West, right? I, I, I expect that if it was Germany or France uh, that was teaching this class, they probably wouldn't use the central concept of a balance of power in Europe as their overarching framework. No. It also suggests that the person picking the date would believe that political history is the most important. Yeah, military and political history. Yeah, exactly. Right. International relations. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I used to throw out a few dates and let the students know that the choice of a date tells a lot about you. Mm -hmm. So where would you want to start? Some people like round numbers, which of course are largely meaningless. Right, right, like 1500 or 1400 or something. Yeah, nice round numbers that are not significant at all. But it really depends on where you're standing. If you're standing in China, would you consider the Ming dynasty reuniting the empire after expelling the Mongols to be the beginning of the modern era. It's kind of a big deal. So that's 1368. Or right. or would you go with the major change in Chinese policy from outward looking to inward looking? Because that's 1433. Or maybe the unification of um, Mexico under the Aztecs, which was not, which was also in the 15th century, but I don't remember the exact date, but not too long before, um, before 1492, or the expulsion of the last um, remnants of Muslim civilization from Europe, which was in 1492. Yeah. Now, if you're European, there are a couple of dates that stand out. Uh, 1453, the fall of Constantinople, is a big one um that's political military i Mm. always liked 1492 yeah Um, well a big influence on me i think post your just after your class was discovering chomsky and and he had a book called year 501 which came out i guess in 1993 so he was so for him 1492 was the big the big date too yeah, multiple reasons. Uh, Columbus, obviously, but the people who sent Columbus out, you might remember Ferdinand and Isabella. Sure. Ferdinand was king of uh, uh, Aragon. Castile. Oh, Aragon, yeah. Yeah, and she was queen of Castile and Leon. Well, by their marriage and uniting their territories, they combined into modern Spain. And 1492 is the year that they expelled the last Moors from Granada, yeah, and began a policy of ultra-Catholicism and uh, not so nice to religious minorities. Spanish Inquisition. Uh, Yeah, either close to that or soon thereafter, I don't remember exactly. So the 
the point is that as soon as you pick a date, you are identifying what you see as important. So what we'll do in our first episode, after we've uh, thoroughly uh, identified for listeners what we're going to do, uh, is we'll we'll do we'll do 1492, but we'll do everything leading up to 1492, right? We'll do China. We'll do the Ottoman Empire. Mughal oh, I India. suspect we'll be all over the place because we can't just restrict ourselves to Western civil. Okay, so Western. We've done modern. Now let's right. do Western and civilization. So just before we um, before we do that, I have to tell that anecdote about Gandhi, right? Oh yeah. So nobody knows whether this really happened, but somebody apparently asked Gandhi what he thinks of what his opinion is of Western civilization. And he said it would probably be a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Tell that every chance I get. Okay. So Western Western because Western is Western because of the uh, division of Christian Christianity, right? Between the Eastern and Western Christendom, the Byzantines and the West. Gosh, and then, no. Oh, <laughs> well, there I go. Well, if I asked you today, what would you, what would you, what would you define as the West? Uh, everything West of Russia. Mm, Poland. Poland. Wouldn't Poland consider itself the West? Oh no, maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Everything sure. West of. Everything west of Germany? Everything west of West Germany? Everything west of Berlin? Right. So if you look at the Iron Curtain from the Cold, so Cold War, War era. Right. But then there's another problem, and that is it's not just geography, because Canada and the U.S. are part of the West. Would you consider Australia and New Zealand Western? Well, they're in the five eyes. They're part of the Anglo Commonwealth. Yeah, I think they're Western. So... How did we get this definition of Western? It's surely not geography. So it's a Cold War thing, maybe. Is that when they started teaching it that way? No, I think it's something else. Because you have... It's not the lands that are ideologically under the control of the former Catholic Church or something? No, because that doesn't work either. No, it's not geography and it's not standard of living. Otherwise, Japan would be in. But it's also not just European control. Because is it white? Is it a racial uh, yeah. euphemism? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Look at who's look at who's not in. Mexico is not. Yeah, so what's right. the dif- what's the difference between the U.S. and Mexico? So you're saying they would have called it modern white civilization, but that would have sounded a little bit jarring, especially in Mississauga, where most of the students were brown. So oh, it's just, uh, it's not even white. When, when we get to the 19th century and, and scientific racism, you'll get to see that Europeans are as racist about other Europeans as they are about right. non-whites. Right. A- well, Khaled is, yeah, Khaled is taking a criminal, or she's teaching criminology. She's a TA in a criminology course, and there's all this old criminology theory they teach, and it's all about how the swarthy Mediterraneans are you know, inherently criminal. <laughs> there's all, all kinds of stuff about Italians and Greeks and their innate criminological characteristics. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, did she get into phrenology too? Uh, I think there is some, there's someone I think is, I don't want to, I don't want to malign, you know, past theorists incorrectly, but I think it's like Lombardo or, um, yeah. And there's definitely head measurements. Yeah. Implicated in yeah. This. Beautiful. Same era. Scientific racism. Lombroso. Lombroso rejected the classical school, which held that 
crime was a characteristic. He used physiognomy, degeneration theory, psychology, and social Darwinism. Yes. A born criminal could be identified by physical congenital defects. Uh, Yeah, late 19th century. So, yeah, he did his best work in that period of scientific racism, which makes sense. So no wonder we shouldn't call this course we're doing Western civilization. No, we have to, because the idea of the West is still thoroughly embedded in Western people's minds. Hmm. And if you're going to live in a Western country, you should probably understand that. Yeah, we have to critique it, I guess. We have to... We have to... start from where it is and understand the idea and the evolution of the idea and what's missing from the idea. Right. So the West is Western Europe and the colonies, the settlement colonies that they founded where the native population was marginalized. I was thinking about New Zealand as a possible exception to that, but I am not an expert on New Zealand's history or the status of the Maori in their society. I don't think it's an exception. So that's why countries like South Africa don't make the cut, even though they had a white majority government for many years. And that's why some British colonies don't make the cut either. So Trinidad is not really a Western country. Right. Uganda, they had ambitions for making them Western countries. Although yes. I suppose that's true of South Africa too. Uganda, Tanzania. Zimbabwe. Yeah. Zimbabwe, sure. Rhodesia. Right. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about Mr. Cecil Rhodes, aren't we? <laughs> a little, we get there. little bit. Yeah. A little bit. All right, so civilization. This is probably the hardest one. But I took your ancient civilization class, which I think was grade 11, right? That's where we go for a definition of civilization is to the ancient world where we talk about like cities and divisions of labor and sophistication in terms of what they can make and class differentiation maybe castes and i haven't looked up the word civilization in many 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 years but it seems agriculture actually anything that distinguishes your culture okay so music and art and achievements of any kind so it's a pretty loose definition i think the whole point of of teaching it as western civilization probably going back to the 19th century was to say we have civilization and you guys don't yes and that's probably why we have to dominate you and steal all your things and so on well and it's still going on today um are we allowed to mention israel palestine or is that a bad it's a safe zone is it safe zone yeah so so the argument that Israel is justified in occupying those territories because the original inhabitants didn't do anything with them. That's classic civilizational 19th century stuff. Yeah, All of the settler colonies also used the Bible, right? So at the same time as they were doing it, with, they were using science and abusing science, they were also saying the Bible entitles us to these lands. If in fact the, con- the concepts of modern Western civilization have these, I don't know if you want to use the word corrupted, biased origins. Like, am I condemned to just do it from an anti-imperialist, a a robotically anti-imperialist perspective, because that's my take on things? Um, Are we just stuck with our own biases? Is there a way to do history any other way? 
I mean, we, we talked about it because I, I sent you a lecture by this, by Akala, right? Akala is this rapper, and I really liked his lecture. It really opened my eyes. He went to the Oxford Union, and he was talking about the Black... He was basically doing, like, Black history, and his argument was that there's been, since the 19th century, uh, a conspiracy, basically, to remove all of the known Black achievements in africa and by the african by african civilizations so these things he argues were known in the early 19th century and then they were er erased from historiography in the late 19th century during the scramble for africa and the age of imperialism and as a result today we're stuck with that legacy but when you watched it you thought he kind of overstepped a little bit here and there and was doing an anti-imperialist version of what he was arguing the imperialists were doing, which was kind of overstating the case and just putting everything on its head, which I have to say, I kind of like that <laughs> approach, at least as a starting point, uh, to be contrarian and say, okay, well, what if everything I know is is wrong? But in fact, we probably have to try to get to a different perspective altogether in some way. I'm just afraid that you can't win with facts. I mean, the facts are pretty clear that immigration is not only beneficial, but necessary. And yet you have tons of people that think it's the worst thing ever. How do you convince them otherwise? What we're trying to do is not necessarily to convince people, but to kind of arm people, right? We're trying to give them the bunch of facts that they can use to think through what happened and what is happening now right and and hopefully to have fun because as i say i think this stuff is really interesting yeah and the controversies are interesting so when we start episode one um we'll talk a bit about um this book i'm reading 1491 by charles mann which was a bestseller it was a big deal and it's all about the americas before just before columbus arrived uh and there's lots of things in there that are totally different from what I thought. Same with uh, Akala used this book by Robin Walker called When We Ruled, which I also picked up. So about African civilization. So we'll get into a lot of fun stuff that I had no idea about. And I'll, I'll keep trying to do that as we go along. I have a lot of interesting stuff about India, the Indian mutiny, the so-called Indian mutiny, which is now called the first war of independence. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll go through... We'll go through the fun stuff, too. Sounds good. <laughs>